Episode 7, An Indoor Forest. Don't talk, just listen. country girl through and through until a business trip brought her to the city to the lights to the man who wined her dined her and carried her away to a new life but not everything of the old world could be forgotten not the old home not the old stories and not the love of green things while Maria's mother could and did adjust most everything the city threw at her, she could never stand the monochromatic field of gray and black and brown buildings that surrounded her at every turn. She described it as being like a barbed wire fence around her soul. Or, she would say that when she woke up with the dawn, the skyline struck her as being akin to a grass level view of a graveyard. And so, when there came the days of easy money, easy living, and afternoons of giddy love-making between man and woman, Maria's mother and father bought a two-story apartment, and Maria's mother fashioned a greenhouse in the upper of the two stories. It was Maria's mother's most precious place on earth, and it comforted her when times became tough and put an end to the easy money the easy living, and the giddy lovemaking. At least, to whatever love Maria's parents might have made. Even when the home situation was at its most dire, Maria would find ways to squirrel that month's girlfriend inside. To this day, there are certain flowers whose musk would send Maria's mind tumbling back to eager days of youth, when she and newly familiar strangers would squirm and squeal and discover fresh delights in each other and themselves. But I digress. The moods inside the house and in the world beyond the house waxed and waned as time rotated, but the greenhouse stayed green. It was a constant in a life defined by tempestuous change, where a mother and daughter could go from love to hate in the span of an afternoon. Sometimes, Maria wasn't sure which her mother hated more, that she brought home girls from school or that she brought home stories of witches and magic from the library. Both were unholy beyond all reason, so far as Maria's mother was concerned. But through it all, always, the greenhouse stayed green. Perhaps this was why Maria could not bear to leave it. Not even when the black sun rose. The ironic thing 
as Maria would note to herself all the rest of her life, was that she had been seriously considering leaving the city and the greenhouse, only days before the city vanished into the new world of the black sun, the gray slate sky, and the midnight desert. A relationship that Maria thought might become a marriage, hence that become a nothing over the course of a single night. With work at the publisher's office, where she made sure to reprint all the old stories that had so beguiled her as a child, even though the company still got a fair share of complaints from parents upset by the stories, by the sacrilege, by the images of witches' houses mounted on chicken legs, also no longer providing her the satisfaction that she needed she found herself at a crossroads. She began checking job openings in other cities, looking up real estate options in open country, and investigating flights to exotic locales. I'm still young, she assured herself. I can still be and do anything I want with my life. Many under people underwent many changes during the time in the city. And I do not mean exclusively changes of the emotional kind. And for Maria, perhaps the starkest alteration to her personality was her new attachment to the greenhouse. In the years since her mother's passing, Maria had come to love and hate the greenhouse in equal measure. She had kept it up partly out of respect for the woman she had loved, feared, admired, pitied, and yes, sometimes hated. And partly because she found a chance to prove the old bitch wrong once and for all. There, Maria had thought when the greenhouse remained green after a full year in her care. I told you I could do it. But in the five years since the city's descent, Maria more and more turned to the greenhouse for the same reason that her mother had, though never in her life would she have admitted to such a connection. It was a safe haven, a place to reset and to rest, a place to let the demons lie, whether those demons were a metaphor for emotional problems, or the quite literal demon that tried to break the Maria's door before she clubbed its skull in. Here, the world could be quieted. Here, things could again make sense. That is, until the forest grew. It started like any other Wednesday. Check the traps, check the ammo, check the supplies. Good good and good. Maria had decided to spend the day in the greenhouse with her copy of David Mitchell's Number 9 Dream, a book she had scavenged from one of the apartments downstairs. She had been tickled to find that this apartment contained the same copy of the Baba Yaga story that she had long obsessed over as a child. Bony Legs by Joanna Cole, that was its name, its author. Oh, the nightmares have been so delicious. She'd taken this book as well, but it had not moved from her coffee table since she had retrieved it. She'd been afraid to crack it open. A 
afraid that once the story was opened anew, she might fall into it and never recover. So, number nine dream it was. The main character was embarking on a foolhardy plan to obtain his father's name from a dangerous group of Yakuza. It seemed like a good idea for the day, Maria thought. With a good book and a quiet place to read, there's nothing you can't outrun. But when she opened the door inwards, it was not her greenhouse that awaited her, but a forest, an indoor forest. She took a hesitant step, her mind trying to rationalize the mass of trees that extended beyond where her vision failed, extending deep into a rich darkness without end. My God, she thought. My God. The door slammed shut. It would not open. She wasted precious moments pounding on the door to no avail. There was nothing else for it. She began to walk deeper into the indoor forest. Her only real hope, and it was a faint one, was to find the door on the other side of the room and hope that this one was not locked. But there was no door on the other side of the room. There was no other side of the room. There was only the forest, stretching on and on and on, far past the perimeters of where the building should have ended. It made no sense. It was madness, absolute. Nevertheless, madness was what was happening. Maria knew that 28 steps would take her from one end of the greenhouse to the other. But after 28 steps, there was only more forest, stretching on as far as she could see. And yet, the greenhouse roof was still plainly visible, although it was set far higher up than it had ever been before. It was so high that if Maria had climbed a tree, she doubted that she would have been able to touch it much less escape through it. Not that any of the trees seemed climbable. The lowest hanging of branches were all just out of reach, as if an intelligent hand had shaped this forest and had designed it out of spite. It did occur to her that perhaps she had gone insane. That certainly seemed within the realm of possibility. But the ground felt solid and the pine-soaked scent that touched her nostrils felt true. And the book in her hand possessed the right weight, the right feel, the right crinkle of paper as she nervously played with the pages. Which meant that either this was real, or she was lost so deep into madness that it made no difference. Which meant that either way, she was in the same situation with the same problem. So she kept walking. She walked until the black sun sank out of view and starless night 
held the minion. Maria found a hollow beneath a tall tree and made her bed there. Tomorrow she would find the borders, or at least a tree she could climb. She was sure of it. How could you be so sure? Because what choice did she have? What choice but to believe, or at least pretend to believe, and carry on as best she could? The air grew cold, but the ground stayed soft, and soon she drifted off to sleep. It must have been around midnight when she awoke to the sound of music. Now, all through the day prior, perhaps the most disturbing feature of the forest had been the absolute quiet which permeated its depths. No birds sang, no critters chittered, no insects buzzed. Only the gentle stirring of green leaves on black boughs. But now, music, music, and lights. Lights that somehow pulse with a song as if the song formed the light, or the light generated the song. Light that twined and twisted into shape beyond what Maria could have ever described, and music that rang with notes no human instrument could conjure. Rooted to her spot in the hall of the tree, Maria felt a strange sort of peace begin to flow through her body. Muscles that had been tense for five years relaxed. Muscles that had been stiff for so long that she no longer felt the strain. She had a sudden, wild urge to charge from her hiding place and race towards the light, to add her voice to the chorus and let all that she was and all that she knew be washed away, absorbed into the singular thought that was the sound. Her rational mind threw a clamp on such desires, but it was a struggle, a mighty struggle. Which side would have won would forever be unknown because at that moment there came suddenly a massive pounding, like the approach of terrible footsteps. Trees shook and cracked and crashed for a great black bulk moved amongst them and the trees broke apart like the tide booming against the back of a colossal whale. The music halted, the light dispelled, the shape approached. Maria pressed herself as far back into the hollow as she could, all levity gone from her soul. She tried to will her body to be smaller, skinnier, to become so vague that she might be absorbed whole into the solid earth. The pounding grew closer and louder and closer and louder and closer until it was so close and so loud that it seemed to Maria that the world was ending just above her head. And then, as suddenly as it had arrived, the bulk moved on, tramping off into the forest. It gave out a singular cry and it was the loneliest sound Maria had ever heard. She eventually stopped shaking, and she managed to slow her heart rate down back to normal speeds. 
but she never did get back to sleep. The next morning, she tried to soothe frazzled nerves by reading more of her book, but it was to no avail. She put it down to exhaustion. For one thing, she kept seeing pictures from bony legs in the pages of Number 9 Dream, which made no sense at all. And she couldn't focus on any of the words, her tired eyes slipping from sentence to sentence, but not finding meaning in any of them. Worse, her mind was inventing words and phrases that weren't there. Four separate times she turned the page, glimpsed the phrase, if you eat the red berries, you must stay here. The fifth time this happened, she closed the book. It must have been around noon when she found the bush laden down with red berries. You may wonder if she hesitated before she ate. The answer is yes. Yes, she did. But the concerns of the mind were tossed aside by the ravenous hunger of the belly. She ate handful after handful until her hands, face, and clothes were stained with the red juices. I must look like I wandered out of a vampire film, Maria thought. She expected any moment to be struck down by an attack of cramps or indigestion. Some sort of alarm that the berries had been made of less edible stuff than she had hoped. But no such attack came. As the day wore on and her stomach continued to settle, Maria found herself falling into a placid rhythm. Peace, not unlike what she had felt last night with the music and the lights, began to return to her. It seemed to her that perhaps she knew these woods, that she had walked these paths before, but that could not be possible, could it? The reverie broke when the ground began to quake. She turned, and there again was the great dark mass pushing through the tree line and sending showers of vegetation pouring down a great curtain of green that swept closer and closer. Maria turned on her heel and ran, ran as hard and as fast as she could. The thing, whatever it was, once more sounded its lonely wail. The noise was so close that it almost knocked Maria off her feet. The thing sped up. Maria told herself not to look back. Whatever she did, she must not look back. To look back was death. She looked back. Whatever it was, it was too large and moving too fast for her eyes to hold. She turned back to the front. Smack. Her eyes flashed with explosions of black and white and red and light, pure light, light without shape or color or source. Maria's shock at striking the tree branch quickly evaporated, replaced by realization. A tree branch so low, she could climb it. So she did, hurling her body up one branch at a time, pure instinct, pure motion, 
quaking built to a crescendo. But it makes no matter, Maria told herself. It makes no matter because I'm here. I made it. I'm safe. I'm here and I can break through. Her hands scrabbling against the warm glass of the greenhouse ceiling. I can break through, she said out loud. I can break through. Her tree seized up as if a pair of massive hands had encircled the trunk and begun to squeeze. I can break through, she insisted. She began to punch. She may as well have been striking at the sky itself. Her knuckles came back red, raw. She kept punching. With a scream, the roots of her tree were ripped from the earth. With a cry, Maria put all of her weight behind her next punch and her fist tore through the glass. Her hand was shredded at once, ribbons of blood coursing from her hand down her arm, under her shirt, coating her chest and belly. She grabbed onto the opening with her other hand. The tree was gone, the world was gone, and she clung to only the very edge of the sky. A roar from below fired a new surge of adrenaline and Maria hauled herself up through the gap. She collapsed to the ground, panting. She was sweaty and bloody and just plain worn out. And she was still in the forest. No, she thought. What? She thought. No. How? No. Her refusal to accept or understand what was happening did not in any way stop it from continuing to happen. The forest went on and on. Only now, there was no glass ceiling to suggest a world beyond this forest. This forest was the world. The undergrowth rattled as something approached. Maria did not have the energy to run or to fight. She could only lay on the ground and wait. And so this was what she did. What stepped out of the green was no creature. It was a woman, with skin that seemed etched out of the earth itself. Oh dearie, the woman said. I did try and tell you not to eat those berries. Maria slumped. Maria woke on the floor of a wooden cabin. For some reason, the motion of the cabin reminded her of being on a boat at sea. There was a pervasive smell of herbs, of earth, and of old blood. It would take a moment for her to remember that it was unusual for a wooden cabin to move like a boat at sea. The witch, for that was all that she could be, stood by the fireplace. Three chairs were arranged in a triangle, each one facing the other two. I did tell you, the witch said, I did tell you not to eat those berries. And now look at you, part of a world you cannot leave, lost in a story in which you don't belong. 
Maria sat up. Her hand and arm ached, but they were bound in a clean white bandage, and she still had mobility in her fingers. She was no expert, but she would guess that within a few weeks it would be good as new. But would Maria still be alive to be grateful for this in a few weeks? The house rocked. How could a house rock? The witch sighed and sat in one of the three chairs. She was neither young nor old. Maria stood up and carefully, for she did not trust this unstable house, crossed to the center of the room. She made to sit in one of the three chairs, but the witch made a harsh noise and beckoned her away. Not for you, my pretty, not for you. These seats are for my sisters, the older and the younger. The older I must collect, the younger will come in her time. And you, you may stay and keep me company, and I will keep you safe. The house lurched, picking up speed. What's happening? Maria asked. That dark thing of the forest must be close, the witch replied. We have to keep moving, or else it may catch us. Maria watched the darkened forest rush by through the window. And something else, something that was wrong. No, something that was right, but that seemed wrong because wrong had been right for so very long. There were stars in the sky. Stars. And a silver disc beside them. It's always midnight in my forest, the witch said. And it is always the full moon. People imagined it so, and so it is. And in that moment, Maria understood. She said, Your house is walking on chicken legs, isn't it? And the witch said, It is. Maria said, Your name is Baba Yaga, isn't it? And the witch said, It is. Maria said, But you're just a story. And the witch said, I am, we all are, and you, you have wandered into mine. Maria had no response to this, and so instead she asked Baba Yaga who her two sisters were. And the witch did tell her, and in time, both the younger and the older sister would come to sit at their appointed places in Baba Yaga's house. But that's another story. Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brandon Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Network. Uh, if you didn't like this one, we have plenty of great stuff like 
uh, Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, uh, and a whole bunch of new shows that just came out. Uh, I'm sure that one of those will suit your fancy, even if this one did not. Uh, Cinepunk is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. You can hit them up at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. You can be a Cinepunk sponsor yourself by supporting our Patreon, which you can find on our website. If you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes and help spread the word on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and just, you know, get the word out to people that, hey, this is an awesome show. You should be listening to it. You can find me on Twitter at the true Brendan F and additional writing at synapse.co and my medium page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show, which will have updates, hints about future episodes, uh, and fun stuff like that. Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. The show is produced using Reaper, and music for this week's episode is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, uh, episode eight. I uh, hope you guys will join us for that one. Uh, it'll be a good one. Thanks. Bye.